Hello, everybody, and welcome to the next episode of the Shift Talk podcast. Uh, We're back here for another week. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Matthew, and we are Jake. also joined again by Jake. Um, and we have a new guest here that will be joining us uh, going forward. Um, everybody, uh, say hello to Cruz. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, um, so we're moving right along here today um, with the next episode. Obviously, our inaugural episode was about the top 10 movies to watch while quarantined. Hopefully, all of you are still self-isolating and quarantining uh, as much as you can. Um, But we're going to move right on into this week's episode. And uh, just to give a little bit of um, uh, information on how the show's going to flow and just kind of go from here on out. Um, every week we're going to have a hot take section at the very beginning of the podcast, which is what we're about to lead into, uh, where each one of us will have a hot take that we have kind of told each other about beforehand. Um, so we'll argue about that, discuss through those, uh, hopefully not have too intensive discussions, but yeah, it'll basically be the whole point will be for each of us to find something, find one of our opinions that we think is, um, uh, not going to be universally agreed with, uh, go against the grain there a little bit. So we'll get into that in just a moment. Um, but basically the show is always going to consist of that along with a movie review. Uh, we will go into the hot takes, we'll get those out, discuss those as long as we need to, and then we'll move into the movie that we're going to be discussing that week. Um, so if you ever have suggestions for movies, uh, you can tweet those to us at, at shift talking, or you can post those on our Facebook uh, when our podcasts go live there. And so, yeah, that's pretty much it. Today, as you have seen in the episode title, we are talking about No Country for Old Men. So I'm sure that will be extremely fun when we get there. Um, but guys, do you have anything else or are we ready to get started? Let's get started. I'm ready. All right. So we're going to go right into our hot takes section here. We hope you enjoy. All right, guys, uh, to kick off the episode today, we're having our hot takes section and I will lead the way with my hot take of the week. And again, uh, Cruz and Jake, they both know what the hot take is uh, centering around. They, that's all they know. They don't. They didn't know I was doing this, so it's going to be kind of an impromptu uh, debate session, hopefully. But uh, my hot take centers around James Cameron's Avatar, and I've had this take for a while, and I will always die on this hill, uh, that Avatar is one of the most overrated films of all time and it is not enjoyable to watch the only time you the only time you probably enjoyed watching it was in the theater for the first time because of how pretty it was uh but if you try to watch it now uh i feel like you'll be just i I don't know i just feel like you're gonna have a really bad time because i don't think it's a good movie at all um i'm probably not gonna change my mind on that but if you guys um i'd be interested to hear what you guys think about that. If you disagree, I would love to hear you attempt to uh, change my mind. But yeah, uh, what do you guys think about Avatar? Well, I definitely agree that it's the most overrated movie of all time. I think it's a, I think it's a good movie. It's not bad, but it is, like you said, it's more of just like a spectacle. So like you said, that it's, you probably enjoyed it most on the first viewing. I think that's very true. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that I've actually watched it more than maybe the first time I saw it in theaters and then 
maybe I watched a few parts of it on TV every now and then, but I have no real burning desire to re- revisit that film. And I just, I really, really don't get all the hype about it. Um, I do think that it's a, like visually, it's an achievement, especially for its time. It was truly spectacular. But as far as the actual story and everything else, um, it's just pretty average to me. What do you think, Cruz? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty much in agreement with you guys. I didn't see the movie when it first came out. I saw it a couple years later because I wanted to see like what all the hop was about. And I remember being very bored and disinterested in the story and the acting. Um, I do agree that I appreciate like the visual aspect of it, but at the same time, there's also been movies that are groundbreaking visually that have way better stories like inception to as like an example of one. So yeah, I I agree with that. Um, it's not, I don't think it's like awful, but I do think it's just really boring and, and not that interesting to be completely honest. And I mean, I don't want to criticize it for barring elements of the plot because, you know, every story bars certain elements. But really, the plot of this movie is just basically Pocahontas. Mm-hmm. It's, a rehash <laughs> of, it's a rehash of Pocahontas. 100%. That's the honest, that's the honest truth. And that, uh, that was going yeah, to be what I was going to get to uh, if anybody did disagree. Uh, that was going to be one of my one of my you know, punchlines is that it is Pocahontas with a, a much higher budget. Um, but, you know, that's the thing. And I, I, I hate to start us, our first hot take off with something that everybody agrees with. But, you know, uh, that just goes to show sometimes you, when you're right, you're right. And, I mean, I can't help that. That's just uh, I can't help that at all. But, yeah, I mean, you guys kind of just said everything I was going to end up saying is that the acting I felt like was it was decent. It's like, uh, I mean, passable. Nothing stands out. No, not at all. The main character in this movie, played by Sam Worthington, and I don't think Sam Worthington's a terrible actor, but he's not a he's not a lead actor. He's not a lead to me. And he 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 his presence in the movie, like I just I don't know. I wasn't impressed there. Uh, Sigourney Weaver was really good, but I mean, I felt underutilized at times. I guess it, it just seems like the whole concept of the story. Uh, you know, you've got these fantastic looking characters and the, the concept of, you know, being able to transpose yourself into one of these beings, I feel like is super interesting. And like you said, all they did with it was rehash Pocahontas, which I guess from a production sense, I sort of get because you're, you're pouring so many resources into, okay, we have to make sure this looks amazing. We have to make sure all this stuff looks photo real or as real as possible. So let's just go with a super basic story and people probably won't care. And most people didn't because obviously it made, you know, 80 bajillion dollars. But I was sitting there in the theater and I left and I was just like, I don't I don't get the hype, man. I don't care. But yeah, uh, you know, kind of a boring lead off there because everybody agrees. But you know what? I think Let me ask you guys one quick question here. Are any of y'all excited for Avatar 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10? However many they're making especially coming out and getting pushed back the next 25 years. Yeah. It's a shame too. Cause like, I like James Cameron. I enjoyed um, the Terminator movies, the ones that he did. So like, I think he can make really good movies. So it was kind of a shame that uh, mm-hmm. Avatar was so underwhelming. I feel like he just put too much uh, into the visuals and didn't worry about the story enough. And, I mean, like I said, like, and I mean, 
I went to I've been to um I went to Disney World a couple months ago and the avatar stuff they have there, I mean, I know, you know, the mouse usually does a good job with its IP. Um so we'll have to see uh what they do with the 14 sequels that they've apparently greenlit already. Um all the stuff there around it is great. Now, if they can somehow harness, you know, the the feeling I got when I was walking through uh, Pandora in the Animal Kingdom, if they can just harness that and make a compelling movie, uh, you know, I'll be I'll be back on board. But until then, I'm not convinced, and it will take a lot to convince me. But, I agree. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I didn't, I didn't I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. I was going to say I, I agree because, like I said, I do think James Cameron can be a good filmmaker if he'll just – I mean, I'm if, if, if the next Avatar movies are visually stunning but have a better story, then, like, I'm, I'm more than happy to go to the theater and watch it. I just need more convincing than just him announcing seven sequels before they're even filmed. I mean, I'll, I will definitely go watch the next Avatar. I mean – I'm not saying I didn't enjoy it to that point where I'm not going to go watch the rest of them, but I feel no need for another movie, especially three more movies or however many more we're getting. Um, it's just, I don't know. And I feel like the time has kind of passed for it. And Like you said, it's, it's up in there. I mean, I definitely don't. I mean, I think James Cameron's one of the best film directors of all time. So it's not a, really an issue with him. You know, he's had his questionable. Uh, personal comments lately about other movies that have kind of rubbed me the wrong way. But as far as a film director, I don't think there's any denying that he's he's great. But it just remains to be seen if he can really pull something special off of the next Avatar and then sequels hey, after listen, that. It sounds, it sounds like what my original hot take was going to be. I'm just not as well-versed in the Terminator franchise. My My original hot take was going to be that James Cameron has only made one good movie. That was gonna that was gonna be the the hot take, and it sounds like it should have been that. But, uh, but you well, know. I stand pretty hard for Terminator One and Two. Uh, yeah, Terminator One and Two. I haven't seen Aliens. Aliens is so, good. So I haven't seen that one, but I I love Avatar. I mean, not Avatar. I love Terminator One and Two, especially Two. Two's yeah, such a good action. Yeah, film. Two will be considered to be uh you know the goat there. Um, so I probably would have lost that one. I guess I'm glad I, I stuck it with Avatar, but, uh, yeah, I think that's, uh, that's all we've got to say about Avatar. We need to see more. James Cameron, prove us wrong. Uh, moving right along, um, we are going to go right into our next hot take. Uh, who wants to go next? Uh, I'll go next. So my, my hot take for this week is about the DC Extended Universe, and my hot take is Man of Steel is not a good movie. It's a great movie. And I don't know how y'all feel about Man of Steel, but uh, I wanted to go ahead and preface everything I'm about to say. This, I do not intend any of this as Marvel slander. I I love the MCU. I will pretty much like all their movies. But Man of Steel gets unfairly criticized for not being an MCU movie. And I just feel like Every movie does not have to be like the MCU. For Every superhero movie does not have to be like the MCU to be a really good movie. And I thought Man of Steel was, for its time, one of the, one of the better superhero movies in a long, long time. Um, and I, I do get the criticisms about it, but to me, it's just they're not really valid. 
Um, I feel like Man of Steel gives you a really realistic um, view of the superhero movie, more so than anything the MCU gives us. Um, it's kind of got a dark tone, which I think is one of the things that really rubs people the wrong way about it. But I think it's fitting. You know, Man of Steel, you've got General Zod coming to Earth to pretty much destroy the planet, going up against a Superman that is, he's not an experienced superhero. He's just now accepting who he is and figuring out what he needs to be to be the superhero that Earth needs. So I feel like it makes sense that it's kind of a darker tone. We don't get to get the superhero version, the Superman version that we're used to seeing where he's just a big uh, Boy Scout who, you know, the great American hero. We really get to see a chance of see him portrayed as an outsider, some, an, an alien, a god. And I think that's really effective in this movie. Uh, I think the movie features a, a great villain with Michael Shannon's General Zod. Um, he's very sympathetic, in my opinion. And he's, Michael Shannon's great in everything he does, and I thought he was really good in this movie. Uh, and the biggest thing for me, I remember sitting in the theater watching it, was we finally get to see a Superman movie where he actually punches somebody. And he actually gets... There's actual cool fights and i thought the cgi was really well done and um like i said the themes of superman as an outsider just really worked for me um like i said i get the complaints about it i know that people don't want to see a dark superman and people don't like Zack snyder because everything he does is kind of got that dark tone but it works for me because it's more realistic that with world ending stakes uh, we're getting a Superman that's new to the job, who doesn't fully understand his powers. He's not flying around making cracking jokes like they do in the Avengers. Um, you know, the world's ending. We're not. We don't have to. We don't have to have everything toned down for us. Is basically what I'm trying to say. And I feel like every MCU movie does that. And that's usually the only complaints that I have about MCU movies is they have these moments of humor that are just kind of ill placed, where they just try to lighten the tone and to me man of steel didn't do that and that's what i enjoyed so much about it so i'm interested to see what y'all's take is on uh this movie i don't know if y'all agree or not but yeah uh that was a lot uh cruz do you, do you have immediate thoughts or, or can i jump um, it's been a little while since i've seen man of steel um i will agree that i don't think it's an awful movie i don't think it's i don't think it's great um, I do think it's better than most of the MCU movies because, like, if 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 you were to say that Batman v Superman was great, then I would feel very strongly. Oh, uh, I'm definitely that. not saying that. That movie I, is trash. I think that movie is garbage. I think that movie kind of hurts some some things about the Man of Steel movie. I don't think Man of Steel is bad. I think I don't hate um. Zack Snyder with a passion like other people. Um, I don't think he's done anything good since Man of Steel. I did like Watchmen. Um, I thought that was a solid adaptation. But as for um, Man of Steel, my problem with Man of Steel is it felt kind of messy. Um, Which, I mean, that's just Zack Snyder. Zack Snyder throws like, I don't, I think Zack Snyder is good at coming up with interesting ideas. I think as a writer, sometimes he's kind of weak. Um, yeah, but I mean, like, 
I don't think the movie's bad. I I, I kind of I agree with you that I do appreciate, although I'm not like a Marvel hater. I do appreciate you know they're them trying to be different from Marvel and go a little bit darker, try to do something more realistic with super uh, with Superman. Um, I. I, I do agree with some of the criticisms. I think the amount of destruction near the end is a little goofy, kind of. I know they were trying to do it more um, realistic, like if there was like two godlike aliens, or like, well, four godlike aliens fighting, it would be absolute destruction. I think Batman v Superman kind of ruins that, because Batman v Superman, it's like half the population love them, half the population like hate them. And I feel like if that amount of destruction happened in America, you'd have far less people like, trying to say he's like a god in a positive lot but that's like not Zack yeah. snyder's fault for man of steel i won't hold it against him uh well, i want to touch on that for just a second what you said that you know you said batman versus superman hurts man of steel and i kind of look at batman versus superman as an unfair it's a result of the unfair reaction that man of steel got so man right. of steel was met with this criticism that i don't think is warranted which caused DC to kind of accelerate what they should have done to try to catch up with Marvel. And uh, it resulted in the state that the DC EU is in right now, which I think it's improving. They've, uh, you know, Wonder Woman was great. And I thought Birds of Prey was good. And uh, Joker's not really a part of it, but I thought it was a good movie too. So they're moving in the right direction. But I just feel like the, the unfair criticism of Man of Steel has resulted in the the kind of messy product that we've got after that i can agree with that um i mean like i said i um it's not a movie that i'm i I go back to a lot i probably won't go back to that movie because it was kind of a i enjoyed bits and pieces of it thought it was messy so like i don't i don't find it to be a great movie i don't find it to be like a top tier comic book movie i don't even think it's Zack snyder's best movie but, I mean, I don't think it's, like, this awful garbage movie that should be uh, forgotten over time. Um, I think there were some really interesting things they did. Um, other than that, I mean, I don't have a, a super strong opinion on it. I pretty much agree with some things you're saying. And then I, I mainly just disagree with the fact that I, I don't think it's a great movie. I think it's it's kind of messy, even if you take away the Batman v Superman stuff. I still think it's a little messy. Um, I remember being- one complaint I do have about the movie is the the way it is cut together is kind of it is kind of messy with it, just going back and forth between different time periods. There's definitely a better way they could have done that, but to me, it's not distracting to the point that it takes away from the overall message and theme of the movie. One thing I definitely agree with you is about Michael Shannon. Uh, you could have the worst movie in the world and Michael Shannon will give one of the best performances of, of, of the year that the movie came out in. That is true. So good. There's, there have been so many movies I've watched where I've, I'm underwhelmed with the movie, but he saves it for me. And so I think he definitely adds to, um, to that movie a lot in a way. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, Shannon is great. Um, and I'll give my two cents. Uh, I'm kind of in the same boat as Cruz. I don't. I definitely. I definitely agree with some of what you said, and I. I don't necessarily disagree with much. I mean, I. I don't think it's a great movie. Um, when I first watched it, when I walked out of the theater, I really loved it. Like, I mean, I thought it was, you know, unique, and it, it was 
just had a really, it had a great tone to it and it, it owned what it was trying to do. And I really enjoyed it at the time. And, and at the time I wasn't as big of a Marvel fan as I am now. I mean, just so everybody knows my biases, I'm a huge MCU fan. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll defend all those movies to the end of the time, uh, flaws or not. Uh, but as far as man of steel goes, I, I definitely don't think it, it deserved all the criticism it got. And I think that that is like you touched on, that's the biggest issue with, the DCEU and the state it's in because they, they very clearly didn't have a plan. Um, they, every movie they made um, pretty much has been a reaction to things that they've, you know, seen from either social media or critics um, or what have you. Um, it just seems like, it seems like they're trying to play catch up with Marvel where Marvel has a, you know, if you don't like their movies, that's one thing, but you can't fault that they have a plan and they, they know their guns and they're going to stick to it. Um, DC, on the other hand, that's where their issue lies. And with Man of Steel, I think they tried to, like you said, take Superman in a different direction than we were accustomed to. My, my biggest argument against that movie is that while I appreciate that, I don't think that we have seen enough good representation of Superman to warrant to to make people be okay with the dark, you know, kind of anguished Superman that we get in this movie. Um, I think I think the best parts of Superman and what makes him so cool is because I, I used to think I used to not be entertained by him at all, and I, the idea of him, I used to think that he's this overpowered being, you know, he. Nothing can kill him. Nothing can defeat him. Like, how do you make a character like that compelling or interesting? And I think you do it because you do it by highlighting the fact that he's not necessarily an alien. I mean, he is an alien, but he grew up on Earth. And the fact that he should be an Earthling first, at least to his mind. So I think when you take those aspects away and you don't kind of focus on like, you know, all of the positive sides of him, I, I think you can lose people in a Superman movie. And I feel like that might be where some people kind of got off the rails. Um, but I, but I do, uh, but I don't know. I think the ending of the movie is pretty powerful. You know, when he's trying to, you know, stop, stop General Zod from, you know, killing the family and he, he ends up killing him, which is, you know, not something we're accustomed to seeing from Superman. You know, he's always going to find a way to, uh, you know, save the day without, you know, destruction or death. And I, and I think that's where it lost a lot of people. I think, I think most people still wanted to see a really good Superman movie where he is just a chill dude and he's, you know, kind of the spunky, like upbeat kind of guy. But I don't think it's fair to pin all of the DC EU's failings on Man of Steel or attach the negative feelings that you have in general on that movie, because it's, it's not a bad movie. Like Cruz said, it's, it's definitely not a bad movie. And I don't know. I just don't think that, I don't know. I, I, I just, I'm not sure if people really appreciated it at the time. And, and just to close, I mean, I do agree with Cruz as far as the movie itself, it is pretty messy. Um, I think it feels longer than it is. I think that's kind of the biggest issue with it to me is when you're watching it, it really just kind of feels like you're watching a three, three and a half hour long movie. That is uh, a good point. Yeah, that's a great point. I forgot to, yeah. 
Because when you get to the end of that movie, I mean, you feel like just drained just because I think that's why I don't go back and watch it because I've seen it all before. And I, I, it's kind of like almost a chore to watch it, not because it's bad. It's just because it's just so much. And it's kind of like, you know, it's a darker tone, like you said. And I, I just don't know. I'm not always willing to commit to it. So I guess that could be a fault of it. Um, but all in all, I don't disagree, but I do think it's just a, a good movie. I, I think. Well, sorry, sorry. Last last thing I'll say. I think DCU fan, EU fans, if they're if they're only concerned with competing with Marvel, then they shouldn't. You know, they shouldn't be so dramatic on this movie. You, you can't be too hard on the movies in your brand if you know you're trying to catch up with Marvel because you're not going to catch up with them anytime soon. I mean, you're not going to beat beat them at their own game at least right now. So you can't afford to be, you know, doom and gloom about a movie that's honestly pretty good. You know, you don't you don't have to uh, you don't have to get the pitchforks and light light some signs on fire, you know, over a movie like that. Now, Batman v Superman, that's another that's a whole other. Show, yeah, that that was deserving. That movie is awful. Right. But yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, I don't agree that it's a great movie, but it, it is. It's 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 adequate. It's adequately good, and it's. If Marvel came out with a movie like that, based around the century or someone like that, I, I feel like it would be much. It would have been much more. It would have been better received. I think oh, there's no doubt in my mind. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, Just and that was a huge sticker on the movie. Would hey, I think you made a good point too about them wanting to like the DCEU fans wanting to compete with Marvel, so they put like way too much pressure on Man of Steel because like. Man of Steel was like what the introduction to that universe, and I don't think Man of Steel was as good as Iron Man, but I thought Man of Steel was better than um, like the Incredible Hulk, like some of the early Marvel films. Oh, um, it's better. It's a better movie than Thor one and Thor two, in my opinion. Easily, Thor one. And yeah, Thor. And it's a better movie than Iron Man two, in my opinion. I don't yeah, think I don't think they hold a candle to. Um, and I'm not like a gigantic Marvel fan. I'm not on the Marvel hay train. I'm just not a, a big Marvel fan in general. But I don't I don't think like Man of Steel holds a candle to their like 2014 and on run. But I mean, at that time in 2013, when we had like Iron Man uh, 2 and, and Thor 1 and 2, and I, I feel like people were just too harsh on Man of Steel. I mean, I feel like that movie holds up fine against some of the earlier Marvel stuff. Yeah, I think I think that they part of it is bad timing on DC's part because in 2013 you have um in 2013 you have Iron Man 3 coming out. That's the only MCU movie that came out that year. Um followed up by the Avengers that came out in 2012. I mean, you were really entering in kind of like at the very beginning of before Marvel's like huge boom. I mean, they were already huge, but like right before everything kind of took off, you had Man of Steel. So I think the expectations there were probably uh, not playing in DC's favor either. So, and then there was the expectations of Nolan too, because like Chris, the, I remember the advertisements for Man of Steel. It was like Christopher Nolan was a, a producer, yeah. and so the, and I mean, coming off of the Dark Knight trilogy. Like that was like a crowning achievement for DC. So I feel like also a lot of people were kind of like, yeah, keep it going. Like give us a dark, not like quality version of Man of Steel as well. And and if you guys remember, there were still rumors floating around at that time that, you know, Christian Bale's 
portrayal of Batman was going to continue with this version of Superman. You know, uh, they put that they put that dis- uh, bed pretty quick and made made it clear that wasn't going to happen. But the rumors were still out there, so I think that definitely fueled some of the hype for that movie. And that movie was pretty hopped up. I remember there was a lot of anticipation. For yeah, there was. Yeah. I mean, I made my dad take me to see it. We were out of town, and like we weren't supposed to really have much free time. But I mean, I remember like begging him to like go see it with me because it had came out. I mean, I was I was super amped for that movie. Um, yeah, it it, it definitely um, I don't know, it doesn't it doesn't deserve the hate it gets. Um, I think it's too late, pretty much, for DC to kind of salvage, you know, a lot of what they have. Um, you know, they, they, they're trending up. I'll say that. And I'm not saying that you need to, you don't need to copy the MCU. Now one could say that Shazam is probably their best attempt to do that, but I, I, I liked Shazam. I mean, it's, it's a, it was a good movie. It's one of their best, I think outside of wonder woman. Um, and I'm not saying you need to go polar opposite with the next Superman film, whether that's with Henry Cavill or whoever. Um, I don't know. I just think I just think for your like for your A1 poster boy, you know, superhero, which is Superman. I mean, he is outside of I mean, probably Batman right now is, you know, the face of DC Comics. I mean, I don't know. I think you need to play the field a little more and play it a little safer. Now, that's not to say I want them to throw artistic integrity out the window entirely, but I, I want to see a good DC universe, just like I love the Marvel cinematic universe. And I think the way you do that to bring people back is you have to have, you know, whether it's a soft reboot or what with Cavill, you have to have some sort of a kind of an everyman Superman movie. Doesn't have to be boring. It doesn't have to be, you know, vanilla, but I think you have to pull people back in with a feel good Superman movie. Um, that's my take on it. Um, if they do that, I think there's a lot of hope down the road for uh, the roster they've got right now. I can agree with that. But uh, I think we've spent enough time on a movie that is seven years old. Uh, Cruz, what's your hot take? Okay, so my hot take. Um, mine's about Quentin Tarantino. And basically my hot take is that I think Tarantino is extremely overrated. Um, now I want to say that I think, I think he's, I, I think he's talented. I think he's talented. I've never seen a movie of his that I, that I didn't at least enjoy. Um, I just think he's very overhyped. Um, I'm not one to think that if you're popular, you're automatically bad or overrated. I think it's just what you get praise for. And I, I mean, like before I ever watched a Quentin Tarantino movie, I was constantly told that like he was up there with the heights of like, Scorsese and Kubrick and people like that. And so I think he makes cool movies and I think that's like a fine thing. Like I'm, I'm totally down for cool movies. I don't think he really makes anything groundbreaking or thought provoking, say for Pulp Fiction. Um, I think he more just makes really cool movies and then people kind of hype them up to be like the greatest thing since sliced bread. Um, I don't think, I don't think he's like a, a greatest of all time tier writer. I think he makes entertaining dialogue, but I don't think that entertaining dialogue like equates to being one of the greatest writers of all time. 
I think his films are kind of messy for the most part and have like terrible pacing issues, uh, especially movies like um, Django Unchained or uh, his most recent movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And I liked both of those movies, but I felt like most of his movies are very like well-written, really cool, sometimes tense scenes that are strung together by just like really boring exposition or just like the slowest snail pace of like a, a movie. And it doesn't help that all of his movies are like five hours long too. Um, I think that he definitely rides the waves, waves of Pulp Fiction. Cause I do think Pulp Fiction is like a genuinely like well-written thought provoking groundbreaking movie. I think that's like the one movie you cannot deny of his. That's like genuinely like worth the hop. Um, but I think that that got into his head and I think he's become his own worst enemy. And I think that like, he's basically made a caricature out of himself. Cause like the one thing that like the things Tarantino's known for is that like, he has like these chapter like structures. He has really eccentric characters, but I don't think a lot of his characters have depth. I think they're just eccentric and that automatically makes them seem like off kilter and cool. He's known for really great dialogue and like really intense violence. And I think that he has just taken those key elements and have made like the same movie with a different background and and just done the same thing. He's been very repetitive with with all that. I mean, I think Django Unchained is save for just a, a couple switches in the story, essentially just the same as Inglorious Bastard was a group of Jewish people planning to kill Nazis. This one was a freed slave killing slave owners. And it's the same thing with just the eccentric characters and really, you know, grotesque violence. I think that he's talented, but as a director, I think he pales in comparison to like people like Scorsese or Paul Thomas Anderson or like Andrew Dominic. And as a writer, I think he's not nearly as good as like the Coen brothers or Kaufman or PTA. I think he writes good dialogue, but I think his stories are not very like, not nearly as thought provoking or like crazy cool as people make it out to be. So that, that's pretty much my, my hot take on, on Tarantino. Um, I'm going to go ahead and go first because uh, Jake is probably the, uh, def- actually, I won't say probably, he's definitely the uh, Tarantino expert uh, uh, between me and him. So I'm going to go ahead and get my thoughts on it out of the way because I know he'll have more to say. Um, so I did not expect to agree with as much uh, of what you just said. Uh, but as you kept talking, you know, I, I do see, uh, I do, I, I do kind of agree with some of what you said, um, you know, because you're not wrong. I mean, his movies are very similar, obviously in tone and, you know, presentation. I, I will say that um, now the thing, the interesting thing I think you brought up was about his characters not being, not necessarily being deep, but just having a very, you know, flashy outer layer to them. Uh, I, I definitely, I could, I definitely agree with that. Uh, at least on initial thought, um, you know, I don't think you're going into a Tarantino movie and, and maybe, maybe I'm misspeaking here. Maybe if I could think some more, I could probably, you know, have a better argument, but I do think you're right in when I go into a Tarantino movie, I'm not expecting to walk out of it, you know, thinking very much about what I just saw. It's more like 
I'm going to be entertained in that moment. And now there's, that's not to say that, you know, that sounds like I'm describing sort of like a, you know, blockbuster type movie. And that's not what I mean at all, but I do see the logic. I do align a little bit with the logic you're bringing there. Now, I don't think it's, I'm more there for it. I'm more with it. I'm, I'm definitely a fan of that. I think there's a lot to be said for a movie that when you go to it, you know, you're going to be, you know, thrilled and entertained for a moment from beginning to end. And that's what I, that's how I am in every Tarantino movie I watch. Um, now, am I parsing through, you know, certain scenes or am I re-remembering, you know, you know, am I trying to analyze, you know, symbolism in his movies or trying to find um, deeper meaning? No, I'm not. I will say that. Now, if that, and if that's something that you always look for in movies, you're probably, you may be disappointed in some of, in some of his movies. Um, but I, I definitely think he, he is an all time great. Um, for me, there is something to be said for creating media or content in general that is as entertaining as it is. And if you want to call it formulaic, I think that's fair, but I do think that when you've found a formula that works so well, I think he's, I think he'd be wrong to kind of stray away from that. Um, so I don't, I don't, um, I definitely don't think that he's as low, uh, on the totem pole as you suggest, not that you, not that you were giving him any, uh, you know, not that you were disrespecting him or anything, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I see, I, I definitely align with some of your logic, but I also think that depending on the type of movie fan you are, you could, you could point out those things as strengths too. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's about it for me. Uh, all in all, I think I think Tarantino's great. Um, but um, yeah, I definitely agreed with a lot more of that than I was prepared to when you uh, started off. So uh, I'm gonna leave the floor open to Jake because I know that he is about Quentin Tarantino. So uh, Jake, uh, what is your rebuttal uh, to Cruz's hot well, take? I disagree. I'll start with saying that, but I'm not. <laughs> but I'm not going to go through and refute everything you said because I, I do. You you have some fair points. I agree, um, but I kind of align more with Matthew. Where when I go to a Tarantino movie, I know what to expect, and I think surely by this point, if you've seen any Tarantino movie, you go into his movies expecting a certain style, and if you go into it expecting anything other than a Tarantino movie enjoy it but like matthew said i don't really go into his movies looking to be moved or looking for a deeper message uh i just go to for the pure entertainment and one thing that i really disagree with what you said is the dialogue in his characters now you you're correct he might not have some of the deeper like the deepest characters in the world his dialogue is, for me i hang on just about it's, to me, it's endlessly entertaining, and most of his movies are very, very funny. I, I never have a problem with dialogue, and, and I, I get what you're saying. A lot of movies are very dialogue-driven. Movies like Inglorious Bastard, which is a movie that probably one of the more heavily dialogue-driven movies, surprisingly. Um, just every word, every, every interaction is I hang on every one. So I just, I can't agree with you there. 
also think that, you know, you're right. Some of his recent movies like Django and uh, Hateful Eight, they're a little disappointing in my opinion. They're still good movies, but they're nothing special. But I really truly believe that he has three, maybe four true masterpiece movies. And those are in Chris Bastard, Pulp Fiction, Spine. And then uh, you can argue a lot of people, Reservoir, which is a very good movie, but it's his. And uh, the other one near a masterpiece is Kill Bill. And I feel like those, all those movies I mentioned are just, they're, they're so good that I don't think you can really refute that he's overrated. If you're able to name four or five different movies that are near masterpieces, I just don't see how you can say that he's overrated. You may not have the same view on the movie you said fiction. I personally believe that Chris Bastard and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is and I know you said you enjoyed that. I don't know. I guess it's just a matter of taste. Tarantino is definitely not for everyone. Like I said, you got to know what you're expecting when you go into it. If you do that, I see how you can not enjoy it. Like I said, it's a matter of taste. I'm not going to blast you too far for your opinions there. Um, thank you for not blasting me. Too hard. Um, yeah, well, I do want to clarify that I do like Tarantino. I, I own like all of his movies. I don't think that he makes bad movies. Um, and I and I don't think he's overrated in the context that you guys are like hyping him up to be, or not hyping him up, but like when you're saying like, oh, he makes like entertaining movies that you know, hit not deep, but you know, the dialogue is going to grab you. He's going to have just great, memorable scenes in all of his movies. I agree with that. Um, more of it's when people start comparing him to a Scorsese or like a Coen brother or something like that. That's when I start to take issue, and I know that becomes more of personal taste. Um, I do not consider... Uh, Once Upon a Time and Inglorious Bastards uh, masterpieces. I will say those are movies of his that I definitely enjoy more than most of his other work. Um, but I mean, once again, that does come to taste. Um, as for the dialogue, um, I think once again, I don't think he's a terrible writer. I think he's a good writer, especially when it comes to dialogue. I just don't think that having great dialogue necessarily puts you in the top tier um, of writers. Um, I think that uh, if you can kind of encapsulate all of it, like the, I mean, like we're going to talk about the Coen brothers. Like I think the Coen brothers write incredible dialogue, but they also have uh, very thought provoking stories and characters and symbols and stuff like that. I, I like Tarantino and I don't think by any means Tarantino's bottom tier or anything like that. And I think in the context of he makes really well-made entertaining movies, I would 100% agree with that. I think it's my problem personally. And I know it's just a taste thing is when he gets compared to like the likes of other directors who I feel just have made far more thought provoking and um, it's like mesmerizing movies. Cause when I think of like Scorsese, I think of like taxi driver and it's like, that movie is like 
I just find that movie so incredible. And I've never watched a Tarantino movie and like have felt the way that I've felt about watching like Taxi Driver or Goodfellas or the movie that we're going to talk about in a in a couple minutes. But I do I do um, respect Tarantino, and I think even if you don't like Tarantino, you have to admit that he has had major influence on the current uh, like state of film. Because oh, for sure. like, I mean, like how many movies came out? in the late 90s that you can obviously compare to something like Pulp Fiction. Even, I, and like I said, I think Paul, Tom, I mean, Paul Thomas Anderson is my favorite director. I'm a little biased. I think Paul Thomas Anderson is a far better filmmaker than Tarantino, but even I would be crazy to like deny that like his first movie, his first two or three movies have a lot of like Tarantino-esque influence. So... I don't I don't I don't mean to like say that Tarantino is bad or anything like that. I just think though if if um when I, when I start to hear him be compared to directors that I do consider the greatest of all time, I know it's all taste and and it's completely subjective, but then I I just don't feel like his work holds up personally for me. I get that. And you know, he Tarantino's not my favorite director either. I don't think he's the best. I think he's would easily say he's top ten best directors of all time. He's best. We'll say that anytime that I see his name on like a trailer or hear about a movie of his coming out, I'm automatically excited. It doesn't matter what it's about. He's he's getting me in the theater. And you know, you can't say that for your director. I think that's that's something you can definitely that's definitely points in his direction. I definitely think his movies are all better on multiple viewings. You know, a lot of the times when I watch his movies for the first time, I really like them, enjoy them as much as I do on the second, third, fourth, or fifth. I just think that he makes incredibly entertaining, rewatchable movies. I think there's something for that. I can definitely agree with the uh, replay, like rewatchability. The only movie that I think gets worse when you of his when you watch it more, and I think that movie is I don't think it's bad, I just think it's aged the worst out of all of his is Django Unchained. That movie to me is one of his messiest. It's fun and it's entertaining, but I think that might be like his messiest movie I've watched. That that movie's definitely saved Christoph Waltz and Leo's performance in my opinion. Jamie Foxx is great in it too. It, like you said, it's not a great movie. Leo's performance, in particular, what really yeah, makes yeah. that movie worth watching again. And I don't even really like watching the whole movie again. But you know, once they get to his plantation, Leo really takes center stage, where it's really, really enjoyable to watch. It's a different movie at that point. I mean, it's it's um, you know the first the first bit of it. It's kind of just like a you know, it's more it's more light and humor which i mean the whole movie there's humor throughout but it, the the movie definitely sets off on a different tone entirely when they make it to his plantation for sure um do we think has he confirmed is is once upon a time in hollywood is that his last movie did he say uh, he's he he's got one more he's always said that he's making 10 films once upon a time in hollywood was i don't know i you know there's rumors that he might be making a star trek movie. 
I was going to say, I never know him because he said he was going to do, because he said at one point it was Star Trek, and then he said something about Kill Bill Volume 3, but then I was wondering, because he considers Volume 1 and 2 one movie, would he consider Volume 3 just an extension of one movie, therefore he would actually do another movie after that, and I never know with him. I know he's writing a book. All I'll say is, if he makes a Star Trek movie, it's hard for me to see his career Star Trek. You know, if that makes sense, like, oh yeah, not saying that. Never Star making Trek's a franchise movie. Yeah, yeah. I, and I don't think he would end his career that way. Original. That's one thing I'll give him too. Is he doesn't do like adaptations or anything. His writing, he writes original stories. Yeah, I can say the thing I like about him most is I do like I love it when directors play around with like film structures, like conventional structures. I like that his movies are like unconventional and how they're structured. I do like that. Sometimes I think he takes it too far and the pacing gets uh, affected negatively. But I do like the fact that his structures and, and he likes to subvert kind of expectations. I do appreciate that from him. For sure. Um, well, that was a, that was a great open round of hot takes. I'm, I'm thinking that, uh, as we move through the podcast, um, I think they can only get more polarizing. Uh, so, but I think it was solid to start out. And, uh, with that, I think we're going to move into this week's, uh, movie review. And as advertised, we are talking about no country for old men this week, uh, directed of course by the Coen brothers. Uh, and let's get right into it. So just to start off, um, so for anyone listening that has not seen this movie, first of all, pause the podcast right now and go watch it and come back um, because, I mean, it's just one of the greatest movies of all time. We picked it um, mostly for that reason uh, to start off to be our first movie review uh, because at the end of the day, we just all basically said to each other, we want another, we want an excuse to watch this movie. Um, it's from the Coen Brothers. And it's, it's just a classic. I mean, it's, it's incredibly good. Um, one of the things that kind of struck me when I first uh, put it back on after not having seen it for a few years was really just, um, and you can say this about every Coen Brothers movie, but I mean, the writing is just impeccable. I mean, every, every scene, you're kind of just waiting for, you want to know what the character is about to say. A every single word, it may seem inconsequential, but as you're going into it, you know, whether it's Anton, you know, the scene where he's in the gas station is one of my favorite scenes of the movie where he's in the gas station, kind of antagonizing the old man, um, you know, and just kind of playing with his life essentially. Uh, that, that scene in general really just shows the strength to me of the movie. And you have this intimidating guy, this character who's just an incredible villain, but everything he's saying is you're just hanging on every word because you know you know this character already but the you know the old man in the gas station he has he has no idea who he's kind of matched up with there um little stuff like that the character interactions are great um what do you what's um going back into it what what was your guys um favorite scene in the movie on this rewatch or has it changed oh that's a good question so many Oh yeah, I mean you, you could you could really pick. I mean, I don't think we're gonna argue about anything here. Um, well, for me, so, I'm sorry, Jake. I'm sorry. <laughs> All good. I was just gonna say for me, you know, I, 
I went back and forth. I just rewatched it a couple hours before we recorded this. And um, to me, the most tense scene in the whole movie is the first hotel uh, interaction where, where uh, Llewellyn hides and have uh, Anton Chikawa. I probably just butchered his name. Uh, you have him tracking uh, tracking the money through the tracker that's hidden in the money. So you have him on one hand going after uh, Llewellyn, and the cartel members are already at the hotel. And just every every shot in that scene is just is so tense. Uh, it's filmed in kind of a way like the first time you watch it, you don't you don't really know what's going on because you know, Llewellyn's in one room and you think that it's kind of filmed in a way that you think Javier Bardem's character is right outside his room. It's just, it's so tense. That's mm-hmm. to me the movie or the scene that stands out the most in that movie. Of course, like you said, the gas station interaction is chilling. Javier Bardem, to me, that his character in this movie is the best movie villain of all time. And I don't really know that there's really a close second, in my opinion. I thought I was alone on that opinion. I'm very happy to see that we shared that. I mean, I can't yeah, argue I, with that. I can't argue with it. I mean, I don't know. The fanboy I me mean, wants to wants to throw Thanos in the ring, but I, I can't. I can't. I can't deny after watching this movie um, how how great he is and just how scary he is. Um, but I mean, he's a he's a complete psychopath. Yeah. But he's got a he's got some kind of code that he operates by that you don't fully understand, but uh, you just know that he's just absolutely terrifying. Every time he's on, screen. he owns he owns the screen. He steals the movie, and Josh Brolin's great. Tommy Lee Jones is great, but I mean, Javier Bardem's movie, in my opinion. Yeah. Oh, it's it one hundred percent is. And to to touch on one thing you mentioned, the scene, the hotel scene, the first hotel scene. What's great about it is exactly what you said. You're not sure, you know, you're not sure how much danger Llewellyn is really in. Now, the first time you watch it, you're you're just on the edge of your seat, just super worried that, I mean, he's about to bust in through his room. Um, and so the movie kind of uses that. And then later on in the movie, when Llewellyn is in the other hotel, um, uh, I think they called it, I think it was the Eagle Hotel. I'm not sure uh, if it matters, but... Uh, when he's in that hotel and he's paranoid about someone, you know, about Anton coming to see him, you know, you kind of have this expectation that we followed the will in this whole time. We know he's probably going to be okay. Cause I mean, he's made it this far. So the movie is probably, you know, it's, we're going to see him through. Um, and then he sees the shadow underneath his door and it walks away, but then it comes back and, you know, obviously it's Anton right there at the door. And I, the first time I watched that, it honestly surprised me that that we saw those two characters kind of interact and like he was really at his door because I was like, well, it's just probably going to keep misdirecting. Uh, but I think that uh, the Coen brothers really used that, like the audience's expectation to kind of, you know, scare us in a way because he, of course, you know, busts through the door and the whole chase scene happens. But um, yeah, I mean, the performance in general, and then just the way the movie shot, I mean, the Coen brothers just knocked it out of the park. I mean, they had a lot to play with, I mean, with, with Bardem's performance, but 
yeah, uh, yeah. It was just, it's just a solid movie. It's just so good. There's, I could, I, I could sit here. There's so many things about it I could talk about. You know, um, I was gonna ask a second ago. Outside of, outside of Anton's character, um, without without mentioning Anton's character played by Javier Bardem, what is, what is the other most important thing or most notable thing that kind of sticks out to you each uh, when you're watching it? Well, what's your next favorite thing, I should say? Because I would imagine that's probably your favorite thing about the movie. Well, I've got something, but I'll, I'll let Cruz go ahead and talk back to that. Um, just a second. Yeah, uh, I'll try to speed up real fast. My favorite scene is the final scene uh, with the the monologue about the dreams. That was my favorite scene before we I revisited this movie, and it still remained my favorite scene. I think it just perfectly summarizes the point of the film and like the themes and, and what the overall message was and, and the title of the movie. Um, my actually, um, Anton Chigurh is like hands down one of the greatest villains ever in a movie, and I think it's Javier Bardem's best performance. But my favorite character in the movie is actually Ed Bell, played by um, uh, Tommy Lee Jones. And I think this is Tommy Lee Jones' best performance uh, that I've seen. I, I, I can agree with that. Yeah, um, he's, he's amazing. He's my favorite character. Um, I, think, I think he's really the main character. Um, I think Anton is just such a presence and that, he, that he's like the most fascinating thing about the movie. He's kind of like... I mean, he he's kind of got similarities to like the Joker in the Dark Knight. Like, he's not the he's not the protagonist, but he's like such an interesting antagonist that like you can't help but think of him when you're looking back on the movie. But uh, I think I really think the main character, in terms of like the point of the movie, is Ed Bell, and that's what I think is super interesting about the movie because I was talking about how earlier Tarantino plays around with structure, and I think this movie plays around with structure because you think throughout the whole movie that not only is it a cat and mouse between Llewellyn and Anton, but you know, they hop it up as Llewellyn is the main protagonist and it's kind of building towards this um, showdown between them and then ends up, they never have the big climax, like the big climactic showdown. And it ends up that uh, Llewellyn, you know, dies off screen from just a random cartel member. And I like how they kind of flip that. And then it kind of shows that the, the theme and the kind of the point of the movie surrounds uh, is really surrounding Ed Bell's character. And um, no, I think this is like a, a near perfect movie. I don't call a lot of movies masterpieces, but I think this movie's a masterpiece. I think it, it just, it incorporates everything that's great about like film as an art form, everything. I think it's, near perfect it's my favorite coen brothers movie and coen brothers are like one of my favorite filmmakers so i mean i, I have nothing but praise for this movie yeah uh, i want to go back to something you said something i was going to bring up you know on this rewatch i really i really focus more on tommy lee jones character and i completely agree that you know like we were just saying javier bardem is such a presence in the movie that he you know, everybody's initial reaction watching them. Oh my gosh, Javier Bardem is like just—he just owned that movie, and he does. But uh, Bale is the heart and soul of the the movie, and like you said, he's what the the main themes of the movie really go through him, and 
Now, there's a couple of things that I noticed this time viewing it that, you know, it really, you know, you would think that the movie's kind of framed as a Western movie, you know, the setting and just everything about it. You'd think, okay, this is your Western, and Bale is kind of represented as the typical Western hero, and uh, Anton is the villain. But as you go through the movie, Coen Brothers kind of don't, like you said, it doesn't go the way you expect. It doesn't follow the typical form, uh, formula for a movie like that, where you know the hero saves the day at the end, uh, stops the villain. That doesn't happen. And you know Bell's character, um, the whole movie he's reflecting about. You know, the beginning of the movie he starts off by saying, "There's a time the sheriff didn't even have to carry a gun." And throughout the movie, he's constantly reflecting on, you know, how bad the times are. He even says at one point towards the end that he just feels overmatched. And, you know, that kind of leads to him, that leads to what causes him to retire. You know, he's not successful in saving uh, Josh Brolin's character. Uh, he doesn't save Javier Bardem. You know, he, he, he kind of fails. But, you know, this whole the whole time during the movie, he has this worldview of, of, of like what I was saying with your classic western, where, you know, he's gonna at some point there's a light at the end of the tunnel. He's the hero saves the day, and that's just not realistic, and that's not what the Coen Brothers or Cormac McCarthy was going for in his, you know, in his book. Uh, so I thought that was really interesting, and like you said, the last scene was something that really really sat with me this time the way he describes his two dreams um, really the last line of dialogue is reflective about what the whole movie's about the last line is then I woke up and that's referring to the second uh, dream that he's talking about where you know he's, he meets his dad on this road and he's he thinks that the whole time throughout the movie, he he feels like there's this certain certain way things work out, and at the end of the movie, he finally realizes through that dream that you know that's not the world is just different. The world doesn't work out how you want it to. Uh, the hero doesn't always win. So that's just kind of how I interpret the. Then I woke up. His dream of this bygone area where sheriffs didn't have to carry guns and everything was perfect. You know. That doesn't exist, and it probably never existed. And I feel like that that last line of the movie is just really him accepting that this is how the world is. That you know, it's a kind of a pessimistic worldview, but that's what the Coen Brothers do. All their movies are pessimistic, and this one definitely is. Yeah, I mean, it's like his character in the movie says: "says a man would have to put his soul at hazard. He'd have to say, okay, I'll be a part of this world." And I mean, it. it the what Cruz was saying too, and it kind of is a combination of what both of you were saying, is the the playing with structure that they have is just. I noticed it more on this this viewing just because I'm you know much older. I've seen a lot more movies. You know when I first watched it, I was in like middle school. Um, but yeah, I mean when when you're following Llewellyn this whole movie, and then all of a sudden he dies off screen. I mean immediately your brain is just like shift it just immediately shifts in perspective and you're like okay you know 
and, and kudos to them, to the Coen brothers for being able to pull that off. Because I mean, a lot of people I could see be watching this movie. And as soon as they see that, they're just immediately taken out of the movie. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't go back and look at reviews for the movie uh, back when it came out, but I could, I could definitely see how a casual movie goer might be put off by that. But for me, as soon as that happened, my brain immediately went to Tommy Lee Jones's character. Um, you know, just wanting to, wanting to see how he dealt with this. And I think it's a very realistic, you know, what ends up happening is, is very realistic. You know, sometimes we don't have all the answers for life's issues and life's problems. And I think it's, I think it's honestly a better ending than if it would have been, you know, Ed Bell's character seeking out Anton and just gunning him down. I think this is, it's a much more powerful ending and it's a much more real ending uh, that what we got, um, just showing that, you know, life doesn't always work out. Things don't always work out. The bad guy doesn't always get caught. Um, yeah, it's just a powerful message and it's, it's done perfectly in my opinion. And I was, I wanted to ask you guys this question. Uh, I know both of you guys are familiar with the Coen brothers, but you know, watching it this time, this movie really stood out is like, when you go to see a Coen Brothers movie, there's a certain style and certain way they they make their movies that you like. You kind of like I was saying with Tarantino earlier, you got to know what to expect. But to me, this movie is like the least Coen Brothers type movie. Like it's not styled like their normal movies. And I was just wondering, do you guys feel the same way after viewing it? Uh, yeah, I was I was actually gonna bring that up because um, uh, I've heard that before too. Like I've heard um, people say like this is not like usual Coen Brother movies, and I, I agree in in like the presentation. Um, it, it's it's uh, I find it on very on brand for them in terms of like them playing around with the ideas of of morality and especially like philosophy. Uh, I don't know which one, but I knew one of those brothers has like a bachelor's in philosophy and, it, and it's in a lot of their movies, especially this one. This is one of their more philosophical movies. I think the big difference is the lack of is the fact that there's there's no humor because um, the Coen Brothers movies, for the most part, except for just like the the extremely goofy, funny ones um, are usually really, really dark and pessimistic but it's kind of uh it's kind of an easier pill to swallow because they put so much humor into it like we talk about like a serious man like a serious man's hilarious but when you really like think about the ending of the movie and kind of the themes of the movie it's pretty dark as is um inside lewin davis like especially when the movie comes to an end and it's kind of almost like unrelentingly dark but there's humor to it and this movie has no humor there's nothing to kind of soften the the kind of pessimistic blow to it because I, I agree with uh, the interpretation you guys were talking about of kind of the Ed Bell being the the traditional hero I had to write a, a paper on this movie because it's like it's like um, this movie essentially is is like kind of the post World War nihilism of, of morality Ed Bell's kind of represents like the more traditional moral, values of you know you're a good man you protect and and if you have if you stand by your morals and, and you try to protect people and and do the better you know good of your society then you know you come on top and you beat evil and anton kind of 
Well, Llewellyn too. Llewellyn's important because Llewellyn kind of serves as a kind of a gray area of that. You know, he's he's not the traditional moral guy. Um, I mean, he steals money from the cartel, and and he's you know he he's not the most well mannered guy, but he also at the same time he has morals. He feels so guilty about leaving that one that one guy who was asking him for water that was dying at the uh, drug deal gone wrong. He goes back to him, and it ends up you know that's ultimately what gets him killed. And uh, yeah, arguably, it's what really kind of sets off the events that gets him killed. But it just shows that that he, you know, because he was also a, a non-veteran. I think it's important that they're war veterans because I think this plays on the kind of post-World War nihilism that came in a lot of literature and art. Because, um, like, those traditional values that you associate with Ed Bell were kind of broken down. And I think Anton represents, like, just that kind of nihilistic um, – because although he has principles, it's more – his principles are essentially that – fate is inevitable and you meet your fate by chance but it's always coming after you i mean he says that with the coin that the coin got there the same way he did and when he's at the gas station thing he's like the coin has been traveling 22 years to get to you in this moment and i think that's kind of what this this movie kind of is is you see ed bell who represents these morals kind of be destroyed by like this kind of nihilistic violent um kind of just rush into like the world that he had this more traditional view of and so um i i mean like i said i think this movie is genius i mean i i've written papers on it because i love this movie so much and i just i i agree with any any type of praise you can give this movie I'll I'll throw it that way. I do agree that I think the big difference that separates this movie is it's not funny. It's just it's just nihilistic without the the comedy that you usually see in their movies. And another another thing I noticed on this viewing is there's really there's no there's no music playing in the background at all during the it is and I you know it's something I've never really noticed on previous viewings and I guess it's because like Matthew said I was we were in middle school the first time we saw that really stood out to me this time. I guess that kind of goes along this style-wise. It just doesn't seem like a Coen Brothers movie. And even style-wise, style it's really not the type of movies that Roger Deakins usually films. Uh, very simple cinematography. It's filmed beautiful, but Deakins kind of has a... It's more laid back than what he usually does, if that makes sense. And yeah, something that really stood out to me this time. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree as well. It's, it's, um, I sort of noticed that too. I won't, I won't, um, you know, during certain scenes, you would just be enamored with kind of the silence that it's kind of leaving you to just kind of sit with the scene. I definitely think it was done to great effect. Um, touching on something Cruz said, I think that one of the most powerful things about the movie is that while not being pretentious that and that's the big line that you know some movies unfortunately cross not here you know while also not being pretentious it has multiple characters in the movie that are ambiguous in their motivations and morals um you know you've got you know ed bell's character who is the lawful you know he is the lawful good character then you've got you know chaotic evil with uh, anton and then you've got 
I would say probably chaotic good with Llewellyn. Um, you know, so you've got all these mixed, you know, ambiguous um, temperaments of characters all commingling together to create a well-balanced story without, you know, without each character seeming, you know, disingenuous or pretentious. Um, and I think that's just another, um, that's another part of what makes it so good. You have, you have so many different types of characters to watch and just kind of digest as you're watching it. Um, and uh, yeah, like I said, it, it, you almost can't, you, you almost, you just can't say to, there's, there's too many good things about it to really, yeah, Cruz kind of put the nail, hit the nail on the head. Um, any good thing you say about the movie, I'm, I'm probably going to agree with it. And if I didn't think of it, I'll probably, I'll, I'll agree with it after you get done talking about it. Now, I, I do have one question. I'm interested to see what you, uh, what you're this, this film did win Best Picture uh, in 2007, but there was another movie that came out at the same time. To me, uh, it's a masterpiece, too, and that's, there will be blood. So my question is, do you think this movie deserved the Best Picture over the Best Picture win over There Will Be Um, I'll go first. I think I think this deserves it. I, you can't, you can't go wrong. If it would have happened the other way, if there will be blood one, I mean, I could. You can't argue against that either. Um, just to play devil's advocate, I, I think, I think the better film won. I think that I think the right film won, because I would say, if I had to put it in very simple terms, I, I would say that there will be blood is. And I know that's not the movie we're reviewing, but to, to kind of go into that just a little bit, I think when you watch that movie, you're what you're there for Daniel Day Lewis, and you're there to watch his character. Now, not that that doesn't create an entertaining movie, because it obviously does. It's a it's an outstanding movie, but I think that I think No Country for Old Men is more about all the parts that make the whole. I, I think there's more compelling story at least from a general audience's perspective and i think i think that kind of carried the day for it back in the day when the when those awards were handed out and and i don't i hope that didn't sound disrespectful to there will be blood because um obviously an outstanding movie but i, I do think it was the right movie to win and i and i think i would have voted if, if i was asked to vote i think i'd vote for it cruz what do you think Someone whose favorite director is Paul Thomas Anderson and also considers There Will Be Blood a masterpiece, and it's like in my top ten favorites. I think that uh, No Country for Old Men was the rightful winner. Um, and I think uh, you hit it right on the head. Um, I, I do think there's interesting themes and and uh, a, a very compelling story in There Will Be Blood. Um, but you walk away from there will be blood mostly thinking about the performance of Daniel day Lewis. And when you walk away from no control men, you're thinking about the performances, how compelling the characters are and what they represent the story itself, the, the um, how they played with the structure, the lack of music. It's like, there's just so much, there's just so much more you walk away with from. And, and like I said, there will be bloods in my top 10. I think there will be bloods, an impressive movie, but there's just something about no country for old men 
that's just it's a it's such a compelling movie. Definitely. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I I think I agree with both your points that I would personally vote No Country for Old Men as the winner too. And you know, I, as I've stated before, the Coen Brothers are my favorite directors, but Paul Thomas Anderson is also easily top five for me. And I absolutely adore There Will Be I think Daniel Day Lewis performance in that movie. I think it's probably the best movie performances of all time. But like you said, that's kind of kind of what the main thing you get out of that movie. And like Cruz said, there's definitely more to it than that. It's an exceptionally well-made film. Uh, it's a masterpiece. But I do think that you know, Country for Old Men was a winner there. I think it was deserving. Personally, as far as Coen Brothers movies, I definitely think it's the best movie. It's not necessarily my but I for sure think it's their best, their most well-made movie, um, and you know it's kind of kind of unique because it's one, of the, you know, it's an adapted from Mac McCarthy's, which is kind of unique for them, or adapting the screen. To say that an adapted screenplay is the best movie is really kind of speaking to their talent, where they can, you know, translate somebody else to film in such a way along with making their own movies and writing their own script speaks to how talented they are directors and directors and makers absolutely well guys I think there's uh, not much else to do with uh, No Country for Old Men except for us to uh, offer up our rating out of five it's probably going to be a little anticlimactic at this point given everything we've said about it um, but yeah, I think I'm going to give uh, no country, a, an even five. Uh, I don't think there's any room for any half scores here. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to give it a solid five, five out of five. Absolutely. Watch it. One of the best movies of all time. Um, Cruz, Jake. Yeah, it's a, it's definitely a five for me. Anything else? This movie's in, this movie's been in my top three all time favorites for like seven years. It's definitely a five out of five for me too. I was so excited that we were starting off this podcast talking about this movie. Same. And I will say, don't get used to the future podcasts. We always agree everything. We don't just plan on reviewing only masterpieces, but we wanted to start off on the right first podcast. Of the- I'm sure in the future we're going to have a few disagreements. Whenever I finally convince you guys to watch Antichrist, that's when we'll have our big disagreements. I'm, I'm sure we will. I'm sure that will make the criteria for the best. But it is a film that I do, do need to check out. Oh yeah, for sure. We're we're definitely gonna we're we're gonna naturally engineer some disagreements if we have to. If we have to pick a certain movie uh, that we know will be disagreed upon, we we will do that. If we start agreeing too much, um, but yeah, like Jay said. I uh, definitely wanted to start off with just a, an absolute uh, all-time great movie uh, on this first episode, just to get a nice, uh, a nice clean go around for uh, the structure of the podcast. Um, that being said, not that this next week's movie is any slouch by any standards. Uh, I think um, are we good to uh, tell the people what movie we will be reviewing next? Yeah, go ahead. 
Yeah, so uh, next week we're going to be talking about The Social Network. Uh, fun fact, I have never actually seen this movie, and I would be lying if I said that that wasn't one of the main motivators for me uh, giving it the vote. Um, but yeah, we'll be covering that movie next week. I'm very interested to see what you think of it because No Country is considered like one of the greatest movies of the 2000s decade. And I've heard a lot of people throw the social network network up there as one of the best of the 2010s. So I'm very interested to see what you think. Yeah, I've seen that as well. I mean, people, once, you know, 2020 hit, you know, there was a lot of articles that people were trying to rank uh, the 2010s best movies. And I mean, it, it was a frequent, um, I don't think there was any list that it wasn't on. And a lot of them had it at number one. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty excited. I mean, I, I've obviously seen it referenced, you know, all the time and on social media and I know everybody that's in it and I know what it's about, but I just never found the time to watch it. So I'm very excited. Very, very excited indeed. Yeah, I'm definitely, definitely interested to, to see what your opinion is. But to kind of close things out, if you guys have any suggestions for movies that you would like review or talk about, feel free to comment on any of our posts. Uh, you can follow us on Shift Talk on Twitter or Facebook. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts. We're currently working on getting it on Spotify. Need to check our progress on but hopefully available and Spotify but it is already available please subscribe like I said if you have any any comments feel free to reach out to we're definitely open to recommendations yeah absolutely uh, and you can find us on Facebook at shift talk uh, we're the big purple circle you know we're, we're kind of hard to miss there and it's at shift talking on Twitter uh, yeah um, we're always open to suggestions and uh, give us a follow there. Like Jake said, give us a subscribe um, rate us five stars if you're feeling friendly. Um, but with that, I think that about does it for this week's episode. Uh, we appreciate you listening. If you made it all the way, all the way here to the end, um, we do appreciate you very much for uh, giving us a listen and we will see you next time.